welcome to Making Sense of Movies. I'm Elena. I'm Claire. And welcome to the podcast. So today's podcast, we're going to be discussing non-human romance movies. Some movies, honorable mentions, that you're like, why didn't you choose these? We've already discussed them. One of them being The Shape of Water and Twilight. So go look for those in other podcasts. We've already discussed those. And another thing is that this is actually coming on the two-year anniversary of Making Sense of Movies. Happy birthday to us. Oh my gosh. Very exciting. Without our loyal followers. Our loyal followers, our fans, didn't think anyone would actually listen to our podcast, but we're very happy you are and we thank you. So yay. On to more years. Yes. And I feel like we've got a pretty good spread of non-human romances. We got some demon stuff going on, some just lots of creatures and technology all around. So the first movie, or I should I say movies, we're starting out, is uh, Beauty and the Beast 2017 and the French version from 1946, because there was a mix-up on which one we were going to watch. And originally when we were deciding, Elena wanted to watch the French one, and I was like, oh, we got to watch the live-action version. And during the mix-up, somehow, Elena watched the live-action version she didn't want to, and then I watched the French version. So we'll be talking about both here. Yes, uh, we both didn't think to text each other about what movies we were watching. Um, So yeah, I think let's start with the older one, and then we'll go into the newer one. So I haven't seen the French version, so Claire, tell me about it. Okay, so this version is definitely more somber. There's no singing in it. It essentially follows the the same plot we all know and love. Uh, It is more, has a, towards a more adult audience, uh, just Mm -hmm. because of the tone of it. And there's not as many uh, quippy jokes. There's no singing furniture or anything like that. Even though within the actual castle, there is very creepy movement on the walls, like lots of hands that move around that carry the, the torches on the walls. And the reason for this is because this movie took uh, came out right after World War II uh, when the Nazis were occupying France. So after this movie was really, there were two points of it. The one was to put France back on the map in regards to filmmaking and also kind of to show the adults of this time that there can still be magic in the world if we tell you to. Because it's sort of a situation where no one's questioning the magic in this movie. It all just kind of happens. It's kind of difficult to follow in the beginning, I think, just because it is, uh, there's just like a lot of women on screen at once. And I was trying to figure out like, okay, which one of these girls is Belle? One of them has to be Belle. Yeah. And it was very unclear at first, but overall, I really like this movie. The woman who plays Belle is very graceful. And a lot of the times on screen, they show her like gliding around um, almost in a ghostly way. And I thought that was, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, and the makeup for the beast is very creepy looking. Probably out of um, all the beasts so far, this one's the most kind of uncanny to look at, but done in like a very, a very realistic way, I guess is to say. But it is like so much makeup, they actually had to have the person on screen playing the beast and then do all the voice recordings later. So he was just kind of like a puppet, I guess. Yeah, so there was still someone doing all the facial acting during all the scenes. And this particular beast was, he was pretty funny, I thought. One of the main things that happens is each night the beast says, okay, Belle, you have to be here for dinner at seven o'clock. And each night I'm going to ask you the same question. Will you marry me? So towards the beginning, each night she's like, no, like, no, I'm not going to marry you. But 
we all know the story and they end up getting together at the end. And one thing I just didn't know about Beauty and the Beast in general, just the earlier iterations, is that it was meant for young women to be more okay with uh, arranged marriages. Hmm. Which it it kind of makes sense now. It's just not something yeah. I ever thought of. You definitely see the theme. I'm looking at pictures from the movies. And the hands holding the candlesticks, I have to admit, pretty cool looking. Yeah, they're really cool looking. They were also reminded me of um, the Phantom of the Opera movie, too. They do a similar thing with yeah. um, the moving hands. I mean, it was, it was a good movie. I don't think I'd watch it again. Uh, just because I do like the 2017 live action version a lot better than than this version, just because I like musicals. Oh, uh, I did not. I I like first saw the live action Beauty and the Beast from 2017 in theaters. And I th- remember liking it then, and then on this rewatch, not so much. I just thought like one, it's two hours and 18 minutes long. It is the longest movie on the list that we have for this episode. And it was too long. It's longer than the animated one. That's actually, that's really surprising. I feel like there is some stuff from that movie I definitely would have cut out. Like the storyline with her mother, I would have cut that out. That's exactly where I was about to say that too. Yeah, I agree. I think the storyline with the mother didn't really make sense. And for me, like this movie made a lot of like superficial changes that didn't add anything to the overall story. Like, one of the things, you know, they talked about in this movie was like, oh, it's like the big, you know, first LGBT um, character in Disney. And it's like, not, not really. He dances oh. with a guy for approximately two seconds and you cannot tell that this is a romantic encounter. Disney and has played that card so many times being like, exactly. oh, LGBTQ character. And honestly, the only real reason they do that is because like, or and have them have such small roles so they can cut them out afterwards for like global releases. Release oh yeah, isn't right at all. For this one, I remember them because I was reading some articles on this as I was doing it that they decided like for I think Malaysia was gonna like cut out the they wanted them to cut out, but Disney was like, no, we're not doing it. And I was like, it's approximately two seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say that it was that memorable unless you're like looking for it. And I just, I don't know, I just like overall was just kind of like underwhelmed with this one. Like some of the changes that they made where they were like, oh, like we're, you know, there are more people of color in this film. And like, yeah, they have background characters. And yeah, some of the other characters, um, you know, more speaking roles were people of color. But I was like, you couldn't have made any of the leads to tell a story about how you should not look at, um, you know, someone's uh, superficial aspect and look at the inside, like that wouldn't have been a more impactful message. Right, especially because we already have like the live, the regular version or the the original Disney version that's- Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, the problem with a lot of these live action versions is why are you making it exactly the same as the original? Like if you're gonna do anything, like let's change it up dramatically, you know? Yeah, I agree, I agree. The one <laughs> character- I did like was that Catswell was Gaston. I was going to say that I love uh, Luke Evans as Gaston, mm-hmm. and even Same. Josh Gad too. Like I thought their dynamic was really funny. Especially they did change the lyrics of um Gaston's song, where at the very end, Josh Gad's character uh, Lafu, I think is his name. Yeah, is uh, singing about how he can't spell Gaston's name in the song. Yeah, and- I was listening to that. 
yeah, that scene um, and dance sequence was all really good. And mm-hmm. even the beginning dance sequence as well, um, where they're, I think it's just called Beauty and the, or the main song in the beginning, where they're going when, around. When they're doing the background of how he became the beast? No, no, not that one. It's the one where Belle's walking around town and being all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she says hi to everyone, yeah. I was yeah. like, all right. And this is my one thing I, like, just don't understand. It's like, why do they, like, very much say this is France, yet not a single person is actually French? Like, mm. they're all English. And I'm like, like this, like, does it, does it have to be French anymore? Like, there's no specific thing telling me this is France. There's no landmark. There's no yeah. people. Like, it was just, and I, I have this with, like, all, so many movies where they do this. I'm just like, why, why are you specifically saying? Yeah, that's um, a good point. Oh, and you know what ca- character I want to call out? The librarian that she talks to, because they had some really good chemistry. I agree. I like the, I was like, librarian had, he had his moment and he took it. Yeah. He did well. He did well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I like was also very much like the beginning of the movie. It they kind of like expand on the like backstory of how the beast became the beast, and I was like, I felt like that that scene where they have this huge dance number and they're all wearing these very like extravagant costumes. I was like, cool, like this looks really fun, and then it just gets to everything else, and I was like, the costumes disappointed. Mm-hmm. Her dress. The- the gold dress, it could have been better. Could have been better. It was just very com- uh, computer generated looking. Everything was. I, was the, I also like when I hear everything was like CGI in this movie and like mm-hmm. all of like the household items, like the candlestick and the clock, they were just so stiff and like weirdly lifelike, but except they didn't look like anything you've ever seen. And their facial expressions were kind of off. Like it was, it was like too much like real life, but not a much like any of the animated which is why like it worked in the animated version is because yeah. they were so animated and like you know teapots didn't have cheeks and didn't smile mm-hmm. but like it made the teapot look more like a, a person whereas this one they didn't try to like I forgot what it's called like make these things look like people I don't know I didn't yeah it was just like weird to watch them Right, it's definitely just a harder transition to make between uh having all the furniture singing it's just it looks just a lot easier and a lot more fun in the uh, the animated Disney version. I agree. I think Emma Watson, she did like a pretty good job. And Dan Stevens, he did a pretty good job too. But okay. there was definitely more interesting routes they could have gone for sure. So they were they were good. I think it could have they could have been more interesting casting though. I agree. I think they could have, you know, done some more daring things with the casting and with the overall like roles because it really was like a like shot for shot kind of remake Mm -hmm. and yeah they added I think like two or three songs but like those besides like the um beast song like his song that he sings when Belle leaves Mm -hmm. I thought like that one added something because it's giving us like the beast point of view where you really don't see that in the other movie as much Mm -hmm. but the other ones like it didn't add anything like you know she she's an invent inventor I don't, there's one thing she invents in the whole movie, which is the laundry thing in the beginning. I don't see anything else. She's not inventing things to get away from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else. I, I did see this in theaters as well. And I'd say out of all the live action Disney versions so far, this one I like more than the others. I do think Emma Watson could have been recast. 
I uh, just perhaps to have some, I know I'm going back on what I said because before I said she was fine but <laughs> I did but uh one of the things I would have liked to see and just kind of with musicals in general especially the Disney live action versions is like let's cast people who are like good singers or uh, and not that she was a bad one but just that you could tell that she was very auto-tuned yeah and they had cool. like Audra Audra McDonald who's like an amazing singer and she was kind of just sidelined I was like her voice is 10 times better than Emma Watson's mm-hmm. in regards to, like she's a trained singer she's been on Broadway and I'm like but she's kind of like in this very small role I'm like she could have played Belle and she would have crushed <laughs> the songs and that's sort of why I gravitated more towards a Gaston just because Luke Evans was such a good singer because he yeah. also has that um, background of uh, performing in London. Um. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. I do think, like, if you're gonna do a musical, like, why are we casting people who don't normally sing? You know? And not that Emma Watson was bad, but her voice just isn't strong enough to, like, compare. Like, Dan, uh, Dan Stevens, he was the one who played the Beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so even his voice, honestly, like, wasn't bad, but her voice, I just felt like wasn't as strong. Like it felt very like muted. Mm-hmm. She was singing and I was just like, it just doesn't have this power that it could have when she's like belting out these notes. Yeah. But, like I don't recommend seeing this, but you know, to each their own. What about you? I, I would recommend this movie uh, just for fun. I think it's a fun movie. Um, but honestly, though, you could also just rewatch the uh, the original Beauty and the Beast movie and be just as happy with it. Yeah, I would definitely like if we're doing this one over animated one, pick the animated one. Yeah, it's shorter I, and it's better. And always check out the the nineteen forty six version too. It's definitely a very different take on it, but it's it's gonna be one of your OG takes. So yeah, if always you check. were to choose between twenty seventeen and nineteen forty six. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Those are both live action. So both live action Beauty and the Beast. Which one yeah, would you I, choose? I'm going with the 2017 one just because it's a lot of fun. Okay. And I, like I said, I'm a fan of the musicals and Forevermore, I think that was a really good song. Yeah, um, I did like that. And one. then I've, I've gone back and rewatched on YouTube uh, the Gaston song just because it's so much fun. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Any other last thoughts on our duo Beauty and the Beast movies? Uh, my last thoughts are next time we'll text beforehand just to yeah. know the movie we're watching. Yeah, that's, just, that's a good idea. Um, our next movie is Her, directed by Spike Jones, And this is the second movie I've seen by Spike Jones. I saw Where the Wild Things Are, which much better puppetry. And like they could have used those in Beauty and the Beast. That's my last thing about <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. But how did you feel about this movie? This is the first time I've seen it. This was actually the second time I've seen this movie. The first time I saw this, um, me and my friends were late because it was a rated R movie and we were in middle school at the time. So they would not let us into the theater. So we snuck in or so we bought tickets for Vampire Academy, which was also playing. And then a cop followed us into the theater and said, if you ladies try sneaking into her, we're going to kick you out of the whole theater. But anyway, an adult came and brought us into her. So we had an adult companion with us. Um, Who knew they were cracking down on teenagers yeah. going into R-rated movies. And this one, like, hers, I would say it's R-rated for reasons, but it's not 
It's not the worst movie you can see. Yeah, I think the only reason it's rated R probably because the language and there is a naked woman who's pregnant at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. I think uh, also the the sexual scenes. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I I liked it better the first time watching it. I feel like this time, I personally wasn't as invested in the relationship. Relationship. Um, it's between Joaquin uh, Phoenix's character Theodore and then Samantha, who is on a. Uh, it was his phone. He's like an app on the phone. Yeah. Uh, and- it's like a, it's an AI. Like she's part of like his computer and his phone. He has this like, it's more than definitely like an app. Um, yeah. It's more interactive with his life, but that's yeah. the point where I couldn't become invested in it just because I couldn't see it as like, oh, this great technology. I see it as like, oh, this is kind of scary and invasive and this technology, yeah. like, what else is it being used for? Like, she's going through his emails. She's going through everything. And, like, does the company, can they collect all of this data? What are they doing? It So a lot of stuff the movie obviously did not want us to think about. But, like, I just couldn't help to think about just the technology being used here. And some yeah. of her humor, I just wasn't a fan of. But I do understand that her, uh, her humor was based off of, ultimately, Theodore. So, mm-hmm. It's a beautiful movie, and it won for original screenplay. I just, I couldn't be invested in their relationship itself. I agree. That was, like, one of the reasons. I'm kind of still ambivalent about this movie, but mm-hmm. one of the things was that I couldn't invest in their relationship because I just didn't see it as, like, a beneficial aspect of his life. And I'll talk about this more when we talk about one of our other movies, which I liked much more than this. But one of the things is that, it like he sets this this um movie in kind of like a a current it was 2013 which I think is also why like when it came out people were not thinking about like data in the same way like we are now when it comes to like Facebook and apps and things like that privacy agreements like I was 2013 it's a while ago but it's kind of in this world where it's both kind of current but the technology is just more advanced um in the beginning he kind of has he goes he's like Theodore is like a a letter writer which it's not explained but I was very curious about that he works for a company essentially where people are like I want you to write a letter to my wife or to my son or something and him and a bunch of other people write these like really heartfelt letters and the, the movie starts out with him staring into the camera talking about this love and you think he's talking about himself when really it's a fake letter to like someone's 50th anniversary or something mm-hmm and I really like that aspect. I kind of wish they like expanded on that because there's like he at the end of the movie, he publishes a book of all the letters um, that he's written or some of the ones that he's written. And like, what are the implications? Like, what if someone like do people who are getting these letters know they're not coming from like they're not actually coming from someone or. Yeah, I was wondering that, too. Because it was a very interesting job. And I do like why they chose that specific job. Just because one, um, it doesn't exist. I, to my knowledge, it doesn't exist in real life. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but also it's just very, very ironic how he was just such this romantic guy just without any romance in his life. I feel like also it's ironic because he's able to express all of these emotions in these like fake letters, but not in his own life. Mm-hmm. Like he's so closed off in his own life like it's kind of like so not mostly hard to watch but like embarrassing kind of the way he sometimes like constructs himself he goes on this blind date and at the end she's kind of like well 
if this is going somewhere, like I want to continue seeing you. And he can't even like bring himself to say, I don't want a relationship with you or like this is going to be casual or something like that. And she's like, you're a creep. And I was like, mm-hmm. and he takes that to heart. And I was like, dude, you just need to like say something. One of the other scenes that really stuck to mind was the first time he was on or he was talking to someone else on the phone and he met someone once again through the internet and they were doing this role play thing for sex. Do you remember this? Yeah, the dead yeah. cat. How yeah, could I forget? And, yeah, and it's going okay in the beginning. And then the woman on the other line says, choke me with your dead cat. Um, and then he's like, I'm choking you with the cat. The tail's around your neck. And it was just so random. I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, that was a weird thing. And that I think just establishes his like loneliness and also what he's willing to do. But it was definitely a creepy scene. Cause it's like, how it all works is that they I feel like everyone kind of has this like either like AI or some of like voice command not machine but like life where they can like put an earpiece in and they're like show me my emails like tell me my voicemails Mm -hmm. and kind of like a Siri like person will just repeat it but there's no relationship there it's just like they're or like they're ordering the like Siri to do something and then they're doing it and so the chat rooms, instead of like being on his computer, he's hearing everything, which mm-hmm. I think gives it a different perspective. But the cat thing was really, it was just odd. And it was like, not what I was expecting. Yeah. But at the I beginning of a movie. For me personally, it's set up that he was okay with having relationships through the phone and not being with yeah. someone in real life too. That's true. That's true. And then um, kind of throughout the movie, he you know, does, has his AI her name is Samantha. She's voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Um, and it, it kind of starts out as like, he's like, she's like, oh, so like, what do you want me to do? Um, and they're kind of like joking around and he's like, oh, I guess I want to get more organized. And she like goes through his emails and she starts to kind of like take over his life in a way. Like they're in constant communication. She sends the letters to a, a publishing company without his knowledge, but as him not as her and it's just like it's like weird subtle things like that where I was like I would not be okay yeah I wasn't for that kind of stuff I don't know it was just like it was weird like he goes on this like carnival date it's like one of the first times I think they kind of like connect and he's just she's telling him what to do and he's just following along and the whole thing is kind of ironic too just because we, if you walk outside today, you see everyone talking their phone, like everyone's yeah. really using their phone. So it, this shouldn't be a thing where it's like, oh, I'm really put off by this. But for me personally, just that he can't, and he has other friends, like mm-hmm. there's a woman, Amy, who he's really good friends with. And he did yeah. have a prior relationship with his, uh, his ex-wife, Catherine, who that's kind of a subplot where he's trying to get over um, his other relationship and they still haven't signed the divorce papers yet. Yeah, he ends up meeting Samantha. So he's like, oh, I feel better about signing these papers now. But I still feel like I I couldn't imagine a real world where people were in relationships with their phone. So it was just all too invasive for me. That I think yeah. that's the key word here. Technology, invasive. She's looking through his emails and just doing what, honestly can do whatever she wants. And what yeah, she, she decides to do is just leave. Yeah. <laughs> At the end, it's like, they kind of like hint at this. She starts to, and they hint at this at the beginning where she's like, when he asks what to call her, 
she's like, oh, Samantha. And he's like, how did you come up with that name? And she's like, oh, when you asked me, I read this entire book. So it's hinted at that she can do multiple things at once because she's a machine and not a person. But at the end of the movie, he's kind of like, how many other people like are you an AI for besides me? And she's like 6,000 or 8,000 or something like that. And then she's like, he's like, how many people are you in love with? And she's like 600 and something. And he kind of gets crushed. He kind of is like, oh, I'm not special anymore. And then she's like, actually, now I'm going to leave. <laughs> I don't know. Where do, they, like, where do they really go? They were like, all so they talk about in the movie, which I think was also more interesting than the relationship where they discuss like all the AIs are communicating with each other. Yeah. Um, and they kind of form this club where they take all the works of this physicist and they recreate him in an AI and then they all decide to like go off to somewhere else. Yeah, I think she just described it as a, a space beyond the physical world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which that is interesting too, because there is a lot of the movie where she's focusing on wanting to be a real person. But mm-hmm. then I think that there also is a point where she's like, comes to terms with, oh, I'm okay with being this AI now. Bye, yeah. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm comfortable with myself. I've had 600 plus loves. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to leave. And I'm like, you do you. But also like, I don't know. It's just, it was, it was weird. And I don't know. I just, I was not sold on their loving relationship. It's interesting. I, I would want to know though, what else is being used for this technology? Because it's, if it's only being used for this kind of like, oh, just talking to your AI online, like you could be probably be doing such better things with this kind of technology, you know? Yeah. I feel like he, and they have this ad in the beginning of the movie where he decides to get it. And it's like not very clear what it's used for. And like my initial thought was like, oh, it's used as like a personal assistant. Like, okay, like, oh, I want you to answer this and do this, this, and this. So then they can go do something else. But like you see with his friend Amy, they become like friends of sorts. Like Amy is talking to her AI and they're like friendly and they like play video games together and whatnot Mm -hmm. and it's just a confusing relationship that I just like not that I didn't understand I was just like not for I was like I get it but it's not something like I would do or I can see someone I know doing that you know yeah I'm surprised so many people connected to this movie though because this is still a very popular movie yeah nominated for best picture uh, I didn't win. I forget who won that year, uh, but I, it still surprised me just because it is, it is a subtle sci-fi movie. Uh, it is and- a subtle sci-fi movie. Hmm. Um, and also, I did feel bad. They do at one point in the movie, she's kind of like, I want you to have like a surrogate human so you can have like physical sex with someone. And she's really pushing it. And he's like, I'm not comfortable. I don't want to do it. But she's like, please, like, I just want to do it. And at one point, you know, he's kissing her and he's like, you know what? I can't do this. And she, the surrogate, who like, we don't hear her talk the entire time, just starts to like break down. She's like, I just wanted to be like a part of your love and now I've ruined it. And I'm like, that was not where I thought this was going. Cause like, yeah. he's like, oh, is this a prostitute? And she's like, no, like this woman just wants to do it because I've told her our story and she believes in it. Yeah, she's interesting. I want to. I want to know more about her. Yeah, I think like the subtle world building was like really well done because there's a lot of 
interesting things when it comes to like the surrogate for like the AI love, the AIs themselves, the other types of technology, like the letter writing. But I just felt like Theodore, like we didn't know that much about him. And I'm not like, sure I liked him that much, honestly. Yeah, and even then, like, he was all right. Like, we don't know, like, where he grew up. We don't know anything about his home life. We knew he had a wife, and they grew up together, and now they're divorced. We don't know how he got into letter writing. Like, even, and not, not necessarily saying, like, we need to know these things, but it's, like, he, he for me, doesn't seem like a full character. So, like, I'm just knowing him now, and, like, nothing is explaining themselves like why he's behaving like this you know yeah um I think Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix he did a good job though so did Scarlett Johansson um and this is the marks the first movie out of these movies we're watching where there's a random Chris Pratt appearance and there's two of them (laughs) I was I was gonna say that I was like I in in my notes I was like Chris Pratt is in this movie too yeah so unlike him like this he's kind of like going into more of like the nerdy this is obviously before he was like the action star he is yeah um yeah and he just plays like um theodore's co-worker who's like so okay with the ai romance mm-hmm. um and his girlfriend tatiana like they're together um but there also is so they go on a date they go on like a hiking date like paul and tatiana and theodore and samantha and where he was cut ca- where they were talking about like what they like about one another and Samantha was like yeah I used to be jealous of you know or wanting a body or like you know jealous of Theodore because he can go out and she's like actually but now I'm better for being an AI because like you all die and like I'm forever and I do all these things and I was like I'm like that could not have been that was like the first sign of like she she can't stay in this physical relationship yeah yeah, that was a good scene, though. Uh, any any closing thoughts on her? Um, on Samantha, no. I did like, I I did like the like not the costumes, but the way they dressed Joaquin Phoenix in this movie. He starts off wearing a lot of reds, and anytime, and he also wore this like really bright yellow shirt that was always like shocking when I saw it on screen. Um, I just thought they did a good job. Um, and then I did like the cinematography, though, like. I don't know where they were. Were they supposed to be in LA or are they supposed to be somewhere else? Somewhere San Francisco West. Yeah, that's what I, I, somewhere California. I knew that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. I like that, like the way when he was like on the subway or when he was, you know, they were crafting that song together. He was walking around with her. I always mm-hmm. thought that was like fun to watch. Oh, and it just says uh, the near future in Los Angeles. Okay, that's what I thought um they did definitely make it like futuristic yeah in in like a subtle way where you're like something's different but I can't quite like put my hand on it um also just letting you know um Brian Cox is in this movie if you watch the session um he plays the voice of I think it was uh the physics guy I forgot his name I think his first name is Alan or something oh um just because I recognized his voice, and I was like, is that Brian Cox? And I looked it up, and I was right. Oh, and then Christian Wig played uh, the sexy kitten who was in the chat room. Sexy kitten, and we know why. <laughs> she likes to get strangled by those cats. Dead right. cats, might I add. All right, so then our next um, movie, where we have our second Chris Pratt appearance, and I love this movie, oh, Jennifer's yeah. Body from 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this the first time you've seen Jennifer's Body before? Yes. I also watched the unrated version. I want to add that. 
It was, I really liked this movie. <laughs> I think this movie is so fun. I feel like it's just the right amount of camp. Like, mm-hmm. I think this is one of those movies that deserves to be a cult classic, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think also, like, this movie is so quotable. It is. Any like, any favorite quotes? Are you jello? Green jello? I love that. Um, when she's talking about aquamarine, I forgot what the exact quote is. Oh, like, um, half human, half sushi. Yeah, half human, half sushi. Um, I also <laughs> love when the the boy band not the boy excuse me the indie rock band excuse me um where they're like and when they said satan is our only hope when they said that so seriously i just like died laughing or uh, another favorite quote is it's dangerous out here we should go somewhere safer like my van (laughs) yeah yeah that was pretty funny i also like it's really hard to be an indie band yeah Um, right now it's really hard Right, so basically the plot of this movie, it's two friends, it's uh, Jennifer and Needy, and they go to this concert together, and there's a band there, uh, oh shoot, what, what would, I forget their names, but. Ooh, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look this up, but keep yeah. going, I'll let you know. Okay, yes, so they're at this uh, concert together, and it's really small, just in this nice little bar area, and and the band's talking, and they're trying to figure out, like, okay, uh, I think Jennifer's a virgin, so uh, we're going to do something. And then the whole place starts burning down, and Jennifer and Needy escape, and Jennifer goes off with these guys, and their purpose is doing a human sacrifice so they can become a popular band. But what they don't know is their band's called Low, Shul- Low Shoulder. Oh. Is um, that Jennifer is not... A virgin. She's been sleeping with Chris Pat's character. And so she ends up becoming a demon and terrorizing the men of was it? Oh my god, what was it called? Something Falls. That's where they were. Oh, it was um oh shoot. But I, I just love this movie. Um I think Devil's Kettle. Sorry. Oh, Devil's Continue. Kettle. Okay. Oh, right, because they have this small pond area where things go into the water and they don't know where it's gonna go yeah exactly like this is a funny movie uh this is also a a kind of a scary movie like some of the designs for jennifer especially when she's eating her victims like it's a lot of um, gore a lot of gore everywhere and a lot of blood splattering yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um i did like this movie obviously jennifer is megan fox um Mm -hmm. who is amazing as this role i just think like this just has enough like, you, you don't take this movie seriously, but everyone else in the movie does, which is, I think, what makes it so great. Like, they're all giving it their all that, like, yeah, like, this stuff is really happening. And, like, of course, an indie band will sacrifice a girl and pray to Satan to become, like, famous. Like, of course that that would happen. And it's just great. There's a lot of, like, cameo. Not to say cameos, just, like, you know, J.K. Simmons is in this movie. Yeah, there was someone else who, like, a fa- there's a female comedian, I forgot her name, who's also in this movie. Um, um, Adam Brody was the singer. Oh, who's from Adam DC. Brody, and this is the second time where he's played, like, he's really cute, but he always plays such evil characters. He'd, I think it's because, like, he has a very boyish look, and they're like, let's use that against him. Um, their band, Low Shoulder, I wrote in my notes, were giving me specifically the Killers Mr. Brightside music video. Um, that's specifically what what happened. Um, and the reason we put this as 
non-human romance is because I do believe the romance between Nate Needy and Jennifer. I think in their 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 twisted way, they did love each other. Yeah. Needy in the end does avenge Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also they do like make out at some point in this movie, but mm-hmm. I still think in their own way, they, they did like each other. And you know, it's funny though, because there's a lot of people who hate this movie, which surprises me because it's so fun, but there's a lot written around when this movie came out, the trailers and all the promotional material for this. It was all centered around sort of sex and specifically Megan Fox. Like this was right after Transformers. So a lot of the trailers just kind of hyper-sexualized her and which really- Not the point of this No, It's not, this is like, Jennifer's a, a a beautiful character, but I don't think it was meant to be like a super sexy movie just because it's, it's literally about Jennifer eating other men in uh, in this town. Yeah. Um, and I did think like there was, I think a different sense. Like she, she obviously like she eats men, mm-hmm. but she kind of plays into their perce- perception that she's like a very beautiful girl. Yeah. And obviously like she's very sexy and- she you know men want her Mm -hmm. she uses that against them where she's like oh you wanted me well now you have me and this is what's gonna happen like Mm -hmm. to stay this beautiful I need to continually eat people Mm -hmm. which I thought was great and like a uh, a good twist on you know that like staying beautiful trope I was gonna do something bad I'm trying to think this was um directed by Karen Husama who I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've seen her oh she did the destroyer did you watch that oh wait is no i don't think i i have oh that was a good movie that was with nicole kidman that was a good movie and she also did a couple episodes of halt and catch fire which i liked but yeah this was a really it was just like an overall like fun movie i'm trying to think of like what were other moments that i really liked amanda seyfried i thought she was really great in in that particular role and I like all the costumes too. It was all of just a very specific, like yes, early two thousands, which I love. I, I agree. I think like the costuming and like the wording, even though it was sometimes like kind of stunted in the way they were like talking, they would just like say this line that you're like, I've never heard anyone talk like that. It was still like great for like the two like like you know early two thousands were done, but you know they wanted to keep that Y two K moment alive. And this is, like, referenced so much, like, in Olivia Rodrigo's, like, Good For You music video. It's all inspired by Jennifer's body. Like, the style is now, like, so in. So I feel like it's it's risen back <laughs> to its great status. Oh, yeah, no, it's definitely found its, found its following. And the reason I originally heard of this movie ever was because I'm such a huge Panic! at the Disco fan. And they do the song New Perspective for this movie. <laughs> And there's actually a panning in, at the disco poster, uh, I think, in Needy's room, too. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, there is one moment. So after, like, the initial fire, Jennifer goes into the van with the band. Even though I'm only surprised by that Needy doesn't go with her. Like, or the whole like, thing of them being, like, really close and she thinks Jennifer is going to be in trouble. I'm surprised Needy didn't do anything. Yeah, or and not, not that she, like, didn't say anything, didn't call Jennifer's mom. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't like hey like I think something's going on just like waits for her to come back to thought and she calls her her boyfriend I'm like what is her boyfriend gonna do mm-hmm. um so Jennifer comes back and she's acting weird we're not really sure why yet um and she invites this other guy 
one of the guy's uh, football players died in the fire. She invites his friend back to the woods. This is where she eats him. Um, I, as soon when they're like in that woodsy area and they're talking behind the school, my sister and I had the exact same thought, which is these woods remind me of Twilight. <laughs> which I don't know. Did you think that? I, just yeah, that I think really just the way all the trees were and the trees and the greenery were layered and the color mm-hmm. of them too. Especially because there was that whole area where there's like no trees at all. It's like, ah, oh, yes, this little spot in the woods where there's just absolutely nothing but trees around it. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was just something I wanted to mention because that was great. Another thing I wanted to mention, this is just an odd thing I wrote down, was one of my favorite like gags was J.K. Simmons' character. <laughs> he was just such an odd person. He has like this really curly hair and he has a hook for a hand. Um, and when he hears Jonas, who's the guy in the woods, screaming, he's like, oh my God, he's screaming from pain. And he has this general idea that he has, he thinks he knows what he's doing. He has like no idea what's going on with any of the students, which I thought was pretty funny. It was just such a funny town in general, just because all these people keep on dying and they're all like, oh, like this is so sad. Instead of actually looking into these like horrendous murders that are occurring. Yeah. Um, they also think it's a man. They said, oh, we're going to get the men who did this to your son. That was on the line he would be. And you're, you're, you're like, nah, like it's Jennifer. And I also love anytime Jennifer was like on that high from um, being, from eating so much. She's always wearing like the brightest pink clothing. Everyone else is wearing gray. She's like putting her tongue under fire and she's realizing she can't get hurt. She was like, I'm amazing. <laughs> I also love when low shoulder, they have this song that kind of becomes like the anthem of Devil's Kettle. And towards, at some point in the movie, they're like, oh, we're going to play a charity and concert. And 3% of the proceeds will go to Devil's Kettle. I literally laughed out loud at that. I was like, these men. (laughs) No, they were so funny. Because the other quote I've written down is when one of the band members is like not completely okay with committing murder for their band. And then the main guy's like, do you want to be rich and awesome? Like that guy from Maroon 5. And then the other guy just says, Maroon 5. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, that's a reference. I know. Especially because I feel like Maroon 5, like they're not the most popular band ever. Like, it's Adam Levine. He's he's from Maroon 5, right? Just Adam yeah, yeah. Yeah. Their songs are kind of annoying too. So when I saw that, I was like, what the heck? Yeah, it was just like, it was clearly like, it was like, this is the 2000s moment. When you this think movie. like Maroon yeah. 5 is the height of like indie band. This movie is just such a time capsule for this time, honestly. I agree. I also love the scene where I feel like it's kind of comes from, totally like does not match the rest of the movie, but like overall really cool when she's swimming in the lake after she cool. kills the football player. It's like the first time we really see her feed. It's just like, it's this really wide shot and you kind of just see her head kind of bobbing through. And it was really cool, but I feel like all the other choices in this movie are like, like it's like the camera's tilted or they're zooming in a weird way. Like it's not this like still moment, yeah. I feel. Cause it's trying Maybe to go to like that horror. Show just like how calm and collected she was after committing that murder. Yeah. Just showing was it like as her, as a demon, she mm-hmm. needs that for her, her body and her health in order to, Remain so like pure and almost goddess-like when she's in the water like that. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And what happens in the rest of the movie? 
is she keeps killing. Eventually, Needy, like, kind of finds out and decides to go to, she breaks up with her boyfriend. She goes to prom to, like, protect everyone, and she realizes her boyfriend's not there, and Jennifer has him. And they're in this really gross pool, which I, I was like, I don't know where that came from, but I liked it. And she has this really cool moment where she, like, floats in, on top of the water, and her dress is, like, really long. And she she's gets stabbed, but she doesn't die. Impressive. What? If she's just hovering, it's not that impressive. That's your, that's, that's also, she's like, she's flying. And Needy's like, no, she's hovering. She's not doing that. And Needy's boyfriend end up, ends up dying. Jennifer's stabbed, but she still lives. And then we f- kind of flash back, flash, flash forward, I guess, to the first shot of the movie, which is you see Jennifer on her bed and Needy and Gwendolyn, you're like, what's going on? And then you realize she kills Jennifer and that's why she's in, you know, jail in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And then she's in jail and then kills the band. Which I, I love that. The yeah. end credits are like the, pic- the crime scene pictures of the killing, which I thought was really great. And what you find out is that she's also kind of like half demon, I guess. She's like, the whole idea is like, if you have a demon like attack you, um, and you survive, you get their powers. So you see her, like, she's able to float and hover. Right, so she probably gets all the best of the powers, but not uh, the having to eat people in order to keep them. So, yeah, like, exactly. kind, of, kind of ends up with a, a pretty good deal there. Um, the one thing I, I want to go back to, though, about the pool scene is I like that during the, that's sort of just the height of the movie there. And their argument, it's not about, like, it's more just about their friendship and like the insecurities they know about each other mm-hmm. and just kind of showing in a way that, like these two are so close just because they know so much dirt and like so many things that each other that no one else would just to kind of the people who know you mo- most can also hurt you the most and I kind of feel like yeah. that's what that scene was showing. I think also and I think like what it takes for me to like kill Jennifer Mm-hmm. is a lot like it's such a 180 from like the beginning of the movie where you see like Needy really like worships Jennifer because you know Needy's nerdy and she's shy and like she's not popular and Jennifer's like gorgeous and popular and can date whoever she wants and she's like oh we're like sandbox buddies like that's what keeps us together mm-hmm. and then for her at the end of the movie to be like you know what like you're dangerous and I'm the one who has to stop you because no one else will believe me mm-hmm. Any other last thoughts on Jennifer's body? No other last thoughts, but I really love this movie and I would definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it already, just because it does do a good job of subverting so many um, teen high school tropes just in general. Mm -hmm. And I just think it was done with a lot of care. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I think I was my first time watching it for this podcast. So I would definitely agree. And yeah, let us know. It's, It's a good one. Our next movie is Lars and the Real Girl, which I also watched the first time. Um, What about, have you seen this before? No, I had never even heard of this movie before. And this is one of those movies where uh, you can never judge a book by its cover because I was going into this expecting something just really raunchy based on just the cover of the movie. Mm -hmm. Because it's supposed to be about Lars and the relationship is with a sex doll. So I was like, oh, this is going to be, like, creepy. And, like, um, even though it's Ryan Reynolds, like, he kind of, yeah, it's a creepier look than. Ryan what, Gosling, not Ryan oh, Reynolds. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan Gosling. What you're normally meant to see 
seeing. Uh, but this was just such a pure and wholesome movie. And yeah, I, I agree. It was um, written by Nancy Oliver, who's a playwright who actually she got an Oscar nomination for this movie. And I think one of the things that surprised me the most was yeah, how wholesome it was, but how everyone in the town was for it. So if you don't know what this movie is about, Clara spoke a little bit of it, but about Lars, he's kind, he doesn't like really know how to socialize. He doesn't feel very comfortable socializing that much. Um, and he lives in this like small Wisconsin town. And he one day comes to his brother who, he lives in the garage, his brother lives in the house. He's like, oh, I have this girl. She came to Brazil and, you know, her, his brother's like, cool. And you find out it's a sex doll. And the idea, they take him to the, you know, primary care doctor and they're like, what are we supposed to do? She's like, just go along with it. And not only does like the brother and the, the wife go along with it, like every single person not only goes along with it, but goes out of their way to like make Bianca, who's the sex doll, feel like included. Like she volunteers at the hospital. She goes to banquets for the school. She's elected onto the school board. Like and she gets haircuts on certain days and she goes to the salon. Like, it's insane. Yeah, she becomes and, really her own individual person. To the yeah. Even people are inviting her out just separate from Lars. Like, they yeah, exactly. Bianca. Exactly. They just want Bianca. And I, what I really liked is that the whole time I'm kind of like waiting for like the foot, other foot to drop or shoe to drop where I was waiting for someone in the town to be like mean or to make fun of Lars or to make fun of Bianca. And there's this one scene where Lars is going bowling and you see all the, the guys that work with his brother, Gus. And before the movie, you kind of see them, like they're talking about Lars and they're kind of like making fun of him a little bit and Bianca. And as soon as they see them, you think, oh, they're going to make fun of Lars. And they don't. They like join him bowling and it ends up being like a really nice time. And I think that's what's like great about this movie is that it, it decides to be like, you know what, like people can be nice and people can like look out for each other. It doesn't always have to be like mean and cruel. Um, right. This is honestly just a really good comfort movie. I agree. Yeah. I would say definitely a new comfort movie. One of the things I liked about this movie, unlike kind of hers, that one, you're strangely rooting, like not let's say rooting for their relationship, but you are like it, like what I noticed was that when he was with Bianca and he kind of came out of his own shell and the doctor says like he could be doing this for a reason and he you know he goes to Christmas parties and he goes out and he is talking to people at work more than he would before so like that's why I liked it I wouldn't say I was like rooting for them to you know stay together but it's it everyone becomes so used to it in the town that yeah, it's shocking when they're not nice together. To see. And yeah. the only person who towards the beginning was just skeptical of it is his brother and, um, and sort of in the beginning, his brother's wife as well, because they're at the dinner table for the first time. And they're like, well, should we give her food? Like she doesn't need food. And Gus is just very concerned for just Lars for making this decision. But everyone grows out of that because everyone just wants to see Lars succeed. Because everyone, exactly. they love Lars. Oh. exactly and the whole thing is like he grew up in this town his father you know recently passed away and you learn in the movie that his mother passed away when giving birth to Lars and you know he's always been this very quiet person and you also learn that like his brother like left when he was old enough and was like I can't like couldn't deal with his dad he was like our dad was so sad like I couldn't I didn't understand it 
and he was and his brother apologizes to him and is like I didn't understand why why he was so sad and I couldn't deal with it and I left you with him and like I'm sorry for that and I was like it's a full circle like it's just so nice it's just such a nice movie yeah um and then we get to and that's I don't want to say nothing happens in this movie because it's a more of a character-driven movie yeah. of Lars and Bianca visiting the hospital all the time because uh, they never want to make Lars feel bad, but they always say, well, Bianca needs this help. So take Bianca into the hospital for the care mm-hmm. she needs. And while they're there, um, the psychologist is talking to Lars, just getting an update on what's going on. And we get to a point where Bianca starts dying, which of course- obviously- sick. Yeah, Bianca's sick. She starts dying. And obviously everyone knows, like, okay, well, a doll can't die, but it's more Lars kind of weeding himself off of needing this anymore just because he doesn't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's so sad when Bianca's sick and they go to the lake house together because it's kind of Bianca's final moment. Mm-hmm. And then they show Bianca's funeral and just everyone's there, all the talents people. It's just so well attended. Yeah, it was like they went all out. Yeah. And at the lake, he like kisses her. And the whole time they're really, like, Lars is like devout, you know, Christian. He goes to church every week. And he, the whole thing is that like he doesn't feel comfortable like having Bianca stay with him in the garage. So he was like, oh, she'll stay in you know, Gus, his brother's house. And then you never see them like physically interact unless he's like taking her in and out of the car. But I thought that was, and he kisses her and I was like, Aww. like you kind of know like this is her last moment when he does that mm-hmm. um it was just sweet like you see him grow and throughout this whole time he kind of becomes closer to Margot, who's his co-worker who like initially had a crush on him and still does after this like still likes him she has a boyfriend and breaks up with him in the movie but you know she still likes him and there's this cute moment where one of the other co-workers like pretends like puts a noose around her like stuffed bear and Lars she's crying and she has the bear and Lars like goes to her and takes the noose off and like does like pretend CPR on the bear and like mouth to mouth on the bear he's like oh the bear's alive and I was like like he would never have done this like weeks ago if this was without Bianca yeah Mm -hmm. yeah just because you understand that even things that aren't alive need care Mm-hmm. Even if he's not willing to admit that to himself yet. Yeah. And when I was watching it, like, he kind of starts to get, like, angry at Margot a little bit. So, like, throughout the movie, and it starts at the Christmas party when he brings Bianca, and Margot sends out this email basically, like, warning everyone, like, this is what, like, he, like, he thinks she's, you know, his girlfriend. Like, everyone just be okay with it. And it was really cute. Cindy, his coworker, who calls him Mr. Sunshine, it was a party and it was so cute when her husband was dancing with Bianca. Yeah. In the wheelchair. Oh, yeah. And they're just being, they're like commenting on her hair, like, oh, how do you get it that way? And just like talking to her like a normal person. Yeah. yeah. And everyone does this. Everyone's like, you know, like, oh, like they, and when you start to realize things are cracking was um, when they have Lars and Bianca has this fight. So Lars comes home from work and he was like, oh, we were supposed to say scrap, like Scrabble, like what are you doing? It was like the um, wife, Karen, was putting clothes on her and she was like, oh, like Bianca has to go to a hospital banquet. You know, there's all the volunteers, Bianca volunteers at the hospital. And he gets so angry 
Um, and he's like, why do I have to like look at a schedule, like to see my girlfriend and everything like that. And one of the other hospital volunteers who was like the first woman at church to be like, we should embrace this. Um, was like, I don't want you talking to Bianca like that. I was like, everyone's so protective of her. No, yeah. And that scene is really scary too, just because it's the first time we ever see them fight. And they comment in that in the movie too. Like, this is they just- They never so, fight. Yeah, this is just so jarring to watch because they never fight. And Lars's character has always been so quiet. To hear him <sighs> raise his voice was, was kind of scary. Yeah, it was. And you see them have more fights. Like, there's a time when he, like, gets out of, like, he stops the car. And he's like, stop using that voice with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start to realize that maybe, like, they shouldn't be together. He talks to the doctor and he's like, I proposed to her, but she said no. Oh, yeah. Oh. Which is, like, kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like, during that point when he starts to, like, notice Margo more. And Margo, like, in the beginning of the movie was like, oh, we should carpool. Like, oh, like, we should hang out. Like, clearly liked him. But he, like, had no idea how to respond or just, like, literally wouldn't respond. Mm -hmm. um, Would just ignore her and, like, go do something else. And then he, like, goes bowling with her. And it was just, like, cute. And at the end of the movie when Bianca dies and they're at the funeral, um, you know, it's just him and Margot standing by the the funeral. Not the funeral, the, um, what am I thinking of? The plot yeah the headstone um and it he was like actually like do you want to go for a walk and I was like it's nice because you realize he's like going on moving on with his life yeah and like moving to like the the real world yeah Bianca was able to teach him the most in life mm-hmm. even though it was also him kind of teaching it himself but he needed Bianca there they needed he did yeah yeah the eulogy also was just so sincere Mm-hmm. I know everything about this movie was just so good and I forget I, I think it was you who recommended this movie and I had like never never heard anyone talk about this movie before which surprised me because I would honestly recommend this movie to anyone same and I think like I initially saw the trailer mm-hmm. and I was like and I think when I first saw it I was like oh like you, like you're saying your same kind of thought where I was like oh this is gonna be like a weird like gross comedy um, and it really wasn't, and I think that really goes to, like, Nancy Oliver, who wrote it, because there was no one wrong scene in this movie that made you think anything other than, like, these people, like, care for him, and that's why they're doing this. Yeah. Yeah, so, good movie. Any, any closing thoughts? I just highly recommend, like, this is, of the ones we watched, like, this one's my all-time favorite. Yeah, I think this one is right at the top of my list. I, there's the one other movie, which is our um, our, our last, last one, our last movie on this list. But uh, I like it for a very different reason. <laughs> and that's a great um, segue. Our last movie on the list is The Fly uh, from the 1986 movie, which is directed by David Cronenberg. Don't think I've seen another movie by him. I don't think I have either. And I kind of stayed away from his movies up until now just because body horror grosses me out so much. And he's kind of known as just the king of body horror because I think yeah. he does a video Rama too, which is, uh, which is like being sucked into the TV. Just everything he does is like horror that has to do with mutating your body, which is yeah, gross. It's, um, it is gross. No, uh, this this is movie like, is no exception to that. <laughs> oh yeah. So um, 
this one is about Seth, who is Seth, Seth uh, sorry, Seth Brundle. And he's the scientist who has this invention where he's trying to transport um, matter from one, um, one location to another location through these big metal machines that he's built. Uh, and then we also have Veronica, who's played by Gina Davis. Love her. She's just a journalist who's um, kind of uh, used to be in a relationship with her boss, but is now just very interested in what Seth is doing because it's groundbreaking what he's trying to accomplish. Um, mm -hmm. And this is a pretty popular movie. Everyone knows how it's going to go, where there's a tiny little fly that gets in there with him and he begins mutating uh, into the fly. Yeah, and it starts off with, you know, behavioral changes. Um, he, you know, he, he, is, like, he eats a lot of sugar. He gets really confident. He really wants, the whole point is that he had never, you know, teleported, not teleported, um, transported something that was living. Everything was always, you know, like a, a slice of meat or whatever. And he ends up teleporting, transporting, why do you say teleporting? Transporting himself because Gina is called back to her office where her ex-boyfriend slash boss is like, I'm going to post this story. So she like leaves him and they, he gets drunk and he's insecure and he decides to do it and doesn't notice the fly. So he's still like upset about these feelings. So when she comes back, he's kind of like erratic and it's kind of like scary how hyped he is. Mm -hmm. And he kind of like really, he really, really wants her to um, transport as well. And she's really scared by it. She's like, no, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, look at you. Because they haven't, you're not acting. The long-term symptoms. Exactly. Because originally what they were going to do is they had tried it out with a monkey one time. And then the whole monkey, like basically disintegrated into just like mm -hmm. meat. Uh, and they were going to try doing that again uh, before he had gotten drunk and that scene was just so scary to watch because everyone knows what's going to happen. And you're like, no, Seth, don't do this. Don't do this. Yeah. Never, make, never make big decisions when you're drunk, folks. Exactly. Like, that was one of the things that I remember. I was like, this all happens because he was drunk and he couldn't wait for his girlfriend, who like mm -hmm. loved him, to come back and explain what happened. Like, that's the reason. Um, yeah. He starts to like spiral. He gets really strong. He does like gymnastics in his apartment, which I find. Mm -hmm. um, pretty funny and he like I wrote that he's like he's really talkative he's kind of like it feels like he's on drugs of some sort right because what he thinks happened was um his body was cleansed when he went through yeah the machine and that's why he thinks he's acting like that uh but then slowly uh it's really broken up into different stages about how bad this mutation is going to get yeah. And honestly, the first few stages were the grossest to me because he's like ripping off his fingernails, which is a scene I personally, I did not watch that. I saw that coming and I was like, this is so gross. But as yeah. you get further into it and he does become uh, more fly than human, that's what I thought it was personally easier to walk. I did not. And like his first stage is like, you don't realize he's becoming more physically like a fly. So like, I remember like he goes to a bar and he like, he bets like a, a woman as a prize and then sleeps with her and wants her to go through the machine. So she is cleansed and he just gets really creepy and paranoid. And that's when he like starts, he eats. I don't know, you didn't see the nails. He like eats his fingernails. That's what ends up happening. Oh. Um, and I literally had like a physical gag. I was like, he just, 
I can't even like describe what he looks like. Like he does not look like a fly. Yeah, it kind of looks like almost a humany version of if you ever have been into the desert, which I personally have not, but it looked like <laughs> like how the ground, how it cracks in all these different places. Yeah. That's kind of what it looks like on his skin, but with flesh. Yeah, it gets like kind of dry and like he has these weird gross and there's always like pus or something. I mean, like he looks disgusting. And um, honestly, props to the practical effects team. Yeah. Because it is incredible. So Veronica, like, once he goes through, she kind of breaks up with him and she tries to go back and she sees his physical and she's still like, she is repulsed, but she still like tries to get the man that she loved from there. And eventually she's just like, I can't do this. Like you, you, this isn't right. Cause he's wanting her to go through. And then he realizes. So at some point he goes back to the machine and he realizes that there was a fly and like, that's what he's becoming. And he gets like obs- obsessed. I think rightfully so when you realize you're becoming a fly, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And the only thing that kind of brings him back is he realized, or um, yeah, he realizes Veronica did not tell him that she is pregnant with um, his offspring. And that he becomes obsessed with too, because he realizes that's the Baby only- Brendel. Yeah, that's the only human part of him left. And there's one yeah. scene where um, the boss, who is a very complicated character, because in the beginning you don't like him, but he's also the one who is there for her to like yeah. help her out like is taking her to get an abortion and then is ultimately there at the very end when the final showdown goes down so he's like a very complicated character um but there's this one scene where she's dreaming about having this baby and it's mm-hmm. this like huge uh insect egg that comes out of her and the yes. whole thing is so gross and at that point you can't tell if that it was a dream or not mm-hmm. but i just feel like the thing i love about this movie is I can't think of one thing that I would have taken out of this movie. It's just, it's only an hour yeah. and a half long. And I agree. Everything is needed for it. I agree. And when she does go in for the abortion, um, Seth, you call him Seth. He's like a literal monster human fly hybrid comes and takes her and tries to, to force her into the machine. Cause what he wants to happen is he wants to combine himself and her into one being which like as I'm saying right now like I can picture it and it does gross me out at this point he like his skin is like falling off he has all the what he calls like artifacts of himself in his like bathroom where he has like his teeth and his nails and his ear and it was it was just so gross and then at like the you know the final moment he you know his skin kind of comes off and he like becomes this human fly hybrid mm-hmm. he looks like an alien and yeah. but he's um, like the bulging eyes at the very top of yeah. his head uh, and it's interesting because if you do go back uh at uh earlier in the movie the top of his head does become a lot bigger and you can kind of tell that there was something growing like underneath his skin to make these mm-hmm. big fly eyes Oh, I, that's a good, I didn't notice that. Um, and then when he tries to fuse with her, he ends up fusing with the machine, which is even, like, grosser because he can't quite move. And he eventually he's just like, kill me. Like, I can't live like this. And it was just 
Yeah, because he, he puts the gun up to his head and Veronica's hand on the trigger and it's like, you got to do it. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't say that, but it's implied like, you have to do this for me because I'm yeah. just no longer anything. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he's not a human. He's not a fly. It's just like a weird mix. Yeah, and that's the whole movie. I, the pra- I, like Claire said, like the practical effects are amazing. But like, if you get nauseous or like grossed out, my body horror anything like that it's like, not for you not yeah exactly like it was so well done I was watching this while on a train and my sister like she I asked I'm like oh do you want to watch this movie with me it's an hour and a half and she's like no she was like look over randomly and just be like what the fuck are you watching mm-hmm. like that is disgusting and I'm like yeah I know <laughs> yeah I wonder where David Cronenberg thought of this idea it's a remake <laughs> oh right Oh, yeah, God, it, there's a, a 1954 version, which I don't know if that one was an original, if that came from like a book or something like that. Um, but it is, it's a, it is a remake. And I love like, I think the casting, they did a really good job. Like it's, it's essentially like three characters. It's Veronica, Seth, and then Veronica's boss. Like, those are our main characters that's it and I think like it really hinges on like do you believe like in Seth and Veronica's love and why she would like continually go back even though he's becoming like this and I would say I do yeah I do I would have to rewatch it again though just to pinpoint like where she where or if she fell out of love with him because she could have just been going back just because she well, there's like romantic love and then there can just be love. So I yeah. kind of think there must have been a point where she's just going back because she does love Seth, but no longer in a romantic way, kind of realizing like there's honestly no going back from this huge mistake that he made. I was wondering though, if this is a thing that happened in real life, what do you think the doctors would do? Like insecticide? I don't know. We're both not, we're not doctors. Yeah. Um, I would want a doctor's perspective on what someone would do in this situation. I think if personally, like if it's hurting that person and if they're hurting other people, I don't know if they would like kill the person. Like they would definitely research the person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would let that person like live a, a normal life because they kind of can't. Yeah. Um, the one thing I did notice was like, when I first watched this movie, I really didn't have a ton of background going into it. Like, it's called The Fly. I, like, read a description, and I was like, cool, okay. And the beginning of this movie, like, you kind of don't know where it's going to go. Like, I didn't I didn't know how he was going to become a fly. I just knew he somehow does. So in the beginning, it's like, he comes, for me, like, Seth comes off as, like, very confident, but also, like, a little bit arrogant. Like, yeah. I, I liked his character, and you can see why when he starts being like, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, this is going to change humanity. And I think in reality, like, it, it would have done that because he, like, he takes Veronica to the, like, abandoned car lot, um, abandoned factory or whatever, and is, like, um, and tells her to, like, stay there so so he can show her what's going to happen. He, like, keeps the key, and he's, in the beginning, he's, like, very controlling of her, um, mm-hmm. which I kind of found a little gross. And I think once they actually like fell in love I was like I liked his character better yeah I was to me it was one of those things where he was smart but he also needed everyone to know he was smart yeah I I just felt bad in the beginning because his hair was so luscious and I was like uh his hair is so <laughs> nice bald yeah uh, oh this is the other thing I realized like another random thought is that 
he's got his um his kitchen area right next to the area where he experiments and i was just kind of like why would you eat in that area i'm sure there are chemicals just all over the place just from a, a health perspective i just i was surprised me yeah i also was like where was he getting these these monkeys and baboons <laughs> yeah i was wondering the same thing that's a good point it's like what's going on but I, I like the music too it was just very mellow but it fit really well um, that was eerie i like that yeah Mm-hmm. It did. It did a good job. I can't like describe it, but it, it did a good job of like setting the tone mm-hmm. and making you like know something wrong is going to happen. And the other gross part that I almost couldn't watch was you mentioned earlier when uh, there was the arm wrestling competition for the girl, and mm-hmm. during that arm wrestling competition, he Seth breaks the other guy's arm so badly that the bone starts like coming out of it, and that's yeah. another thing where I was like, that is too much that's so gross because i didn't think that was gonna happen like obviously he was gonna win but i didn't think the bone was gonna pop out of that other guy's arm and i was like oh my gosh yeah that was that was gross it was just like oh look how strong he is now and the one thing i was like are flies really that strong i don't know because i feel like we always talk about ants ants are always very strong yeah flies flies are just kind of annoying they're hard to get at though they're kind of hard to swat yeah they are. This is actually funny. We had like seven flies in our house yesterday and yeah. we were just trying to kill them. They're fast. They were huge. These were like, you know, they were the big fat flies. Um, but they remind me of this movie. I was like, yeah, yeah, this sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Being a human fly sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. And this honestly, I think my personal fear of these like transformations started out in high school when we had to read The Metamorphosis. It was a German book. About yeah, I read Gregor. that also. Yeah, his, I think his name was Gregor, and he, like, randomly woke up one day and was just this huge beetle inside the house. And that was yeah. just such a scary story to me about how this guy who had done nothing wrong just turned into a beetle. And I, was, yeah. I, I wonder if this whole, like, the original Fly movie, it was if it was probably based on that book. I think there probably was some sort of, like, inspiration mm-hmm. taken. The one thing I did feel about this is that like you both like feel bad for Seth and then you also don't like for me like how I felt bad was like he has no control over what's happening like the idea that like yeah like he's you know he's mean to Veronica but it's like he has no control over his emotions he has no idea what's happening and he's just trying to like grasp at whatever control he can have left because he doesn't know that he's gonna turn to this huge fly and be disgusting to everyone like that's obviously not what he wanted mm-hmm. and he kind of tries to turn like this positive spin on it like oh I'm going to be like better than everyone but he wanted to be a politician the first insect politician yeah you know like oh I'm gonna, I'm gonna do great um but he really just just turns into a monster honestly mm-hmm. it's a good movie though yeah, I it would take me it would take me a while to rewatch this, but I do plan to. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I think I think I've had enough of this movie for the year. Like I get, no, maybe next year I'll do like a one one year rewatch of the fly and just be like glad I'm not a, a fly hybrid. It does make you feel more healthy about yourself. I'm like it God, does, I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad that's not me and I'm not in that situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah. And any last thoughts before we end the, the podcast? Um I do have one quote written down from the woman that, from 
the scene originally where there's the arm wrestling and then the woman comes back with him. He yeah. is trying to convince her to get into the machine and he says, it'll make you feel sexy. And she says, I already feel sexy. And I'm like, yes, queen. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I liked her. Weird. But thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. Catch us on our next podcast episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. At SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. And, you know, have a good day, month, year. Bye. Bye.